This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Friday, October 16th, 2020. I'm Caleb Brown. The massive project that is a COVID-19 vaccine entails development, government approval, manufacturing, and of course, distribution. Contrary, perhaps, to the hopes of the current president, it's a very globalized supply chain. And Cato's Scott Lincecum wouldn't have it any other way. There's a seven or eight uh, pharmaceutical companies right now that are really in the lead for producing a a COVID vaccine. And uh, countries around the world are scrambling to secure early access to doses. Because, of course, once you go through the trials and actually have a vaccine, you still have to manufacture that vaccine. And because of that, you're going to you have um, a lot of countries um, already contracting with these pharmaceutical companies for the first supply that comes off the, the assembly line. Um, and the United States is certainly there. According to the Wall Street Journal from a, about a week ago, only the United Kingdom has secured more doses than the United States. Um, and uh, it's really pretty, pretty darn close in terms of um, in terms of that race. Um, and the United States has has done that. Um, by not securing uh, vaccines with one company, but to hedge their bets, because you know the vaccines are all still in trials, they've they've secured them um, with it looks. I think at this point it's six different uh, uh, pharmaceutical producers, six different vaccines of the eight or nine that are out there. Let's assume two or three of these eventually make it to market. What does it that distribution look like? Right. Well. Just looking at the vaccines themselves, so there's there's obviously a lot of parts to this. Um, there's there's the inputs that you'd need um, to make the vaccine. There is then, of course, the production of the vaccine itself. But then the other really critical part is the delivery system, um, and that's the production of the vials and the rest, and that what you need to actually get the vaccine to people and then you know inject it. Because I think all of these that are the front runners are, are injectable vaccines. And so what what I've done is I, we after that journal article came out, we we decided to research the actual the extent to which uh, the production of these vaccines has been globalized. Um, and what I really mean by that is just simply the extent to which these companies are really relying on foreign investment, um, foreign manufacturing or global manufacturing, I should say, um, on global research teams and on uh, also global uh, trial locations. So where these phase three trials are being undertaken. And what we found was pretty, pretty cool. And that, um, you know, really um, only two of the four uh, producers, uh, Novavax and Moderna, are uh, wholly American. So, um, for example, the Oxford AstraZeneca vaccine, which is really in the lead right now, well, that's actually in the United Kingdom, and AstraZeneca is a UK and Swedish company. So, um, most of them are these kind of large global multinationals that aren't uh, headquartered in the United States or aren't solely headquartered in the United States. So, first, you, of course, have that. You have that foreign investment. Um, at that, just at that headquarters level. Um, but then you look at the manufacturing, you see that all of these companies have secured manufacturing locations around the world. 
Um, so, you know, you look at this quote unquote American company, Novavax. Well, they're uh, actually manufacturing in Japan, in the United States, in India and in the Czech Republic. Um, or Moderna, again, is in the United States, Switzerland and Spain. And so, uh, again, um, and if you look at the other companies, it's it's even wider um, range of manufacturing locations. And this, of course, makes sense. Globalization is about maximizing <laughs> your supply cre- and maximizing the efficiency of that, of delivering that supply. So, of course, these manufacturers are not going to simply for both economic and political risk reasons, they're not going to put all of their manufacturing eggs in one basket. And in fact, to maximize supply, they need as many facilities around the world as they can, they can get. So they're, they're either building or have um, contracted with facilities around the world to produce this. This is all good. We want to produce as many vaccines, as much vaccine, as many doses as possible. So then after that, though, it's that's not where the globalization stops. So we, we looked at where they're conducting their trials, because, of course, you need human beings to test these vaccines. And most of these trials are, are through these controlled studies, what, what we know as phase three. This is where they've passed kind of the initial test to determine, well, these things probably aren't going to kill you. But we also need we need a large group of humans to determine um, really the extent to which uh, while they might not kill you, they might make you really sick or and then, of course, whether they, they actually work. So you need to have people with covid um, and you need to make sure that they can they can handle uh, the doses. And then, of course, that the doses work. So here, once again, um, these companies have, have looked around the world. Um, you have trials going on in Brazil, in Russia, in India. Uh, of course, in places like the United States and the United Kingdom, but then Argentina, South Africa, Turkey, Mexico, Peru, you go on and on and on. And that, again, reflects the the need to maximize the uh, the efficacy and efficiency of these trials. You, you, you didn't want to just sit around in the United States and wait for more people to get sick or more people to volunteer. No, you you know, humans are humans. You want as many trials going as once so that you can as quickly as possible um, get these vaccines to market. And then finally, we just decided to look at the lead researchers uh, for each of these teams. And we find once again that um, first, there are a lot of them are American, which really is a testament to kind of how the United States is at the cutting edge of um, of uh, research and development, pharmaceutical research and stuff. You know, we really are a genius factory. You know, you look at the Nobel Prizes, for example, once again, and um, a lot of those folks that, that were just released, they, they were American as well. But you also see people from Germany and and so Europe and then your UK and the rest. Um, and then it's funny, you look at the names of these folks and even the ones that are supposed quote unquote, from America are are clearly immigrants or uh, children of immigrants as well. And so, you know, you put it all together and you see that uh, the race for a COVID vaccine is one of uh, maximum global cooperation in order to maximize production efficiency and eventually, knock on wood, consumption. What will the actual distribution of these vaccines look like? And what, how does, how is trade our trade policy implicated in that? Well, there's two ways. I mean, one is, I think, a good way is that because of our multinational distribution um, uh, 
resources, what we already have in place to ship iPhones and uh, produce and the rest. These these supply chains that have built up over decades that are you know often these days quite denigrated. But because we have that. Um, it's really not it's not going to be as difficult as it as it could be to to get these vaccines to market. Bloomberg just today actually had a great article about um, how they're they're um, increasing refrigerated container space. So, again, the stuff that we think of um, for uh, to transport vegetables or ice cream or whatever. Um, and of course, some medicines, they're going to repurpose these to to ship vaccines because a lot of the vaccines have to be shipped in cold storage. So the, the good news here is we have the infrastructure in place. We have most of the ca- capacity in place to do this. The bad news is political risk. And in this way, you know, the biggest risk to globalization, as I've said you know, before, is, is politicians. And that appears to be the case once again, because we are really concerned about what's called vaccine nationalism. And that's the idea that countries are actually going to ban the export of these products. And that um, this includes the United States. There is some concern as well there. And so, you know, some of the globalization of the production and distribution of these vaccines is done not for economic reasons, but for political risk reasons. Um, In other words, to ensure that there is a truly global supply and that one bad actor, um, meaning political actors in some government, uh, doesn't basically prohibit the the distribution of those vaccines the the delivery of those vaccines outside of uh, outside of their borders which of course has all sorts of nasty implications for not just the health of our fellow humans but for um, kind of a cascading protectionist uh, uh, policies around the world which is the absolute worst thing that could possible happen is for political actors to build up all of these barriers to the distribution of not just the vaccines themselves, but again, all of the things you need to make the vaccine, so pharmaceutical inputs, and then, of course, the stuff that you need to to actually deliver the vaccine, because that's, of course, a big part of this. Um, Manufacturers around the world are producing uh, vials and syringes and all of these types of things you need. And the last thing we need is for um, uh, protectionism and kind of tit-for-tat protectionism to, to screw all that up. Scott Lincecum is a senior fellow at the Cato Institute. Subscribe to the Cato Daily Podcast anywhere you please and follow us on Twitter at Cato Podcast.